0: Good morning, morning. all right, there we go, okay. Uh, I'm glad that you're here with us this morning, and I'm so thankful to uh, all of the uh, people working in our AV booth and the song leader. As you can tell, we had a a few technical problems this morning, but they pulled it together and really gave us some great time of worship and singing, so thanks to everybody who helped out with that. We are in the middle of a a five-part series, really, uh, that we started on the 1st of January, And on the first, we talked about uh, resolution, but really the resolution of Jesus. And then since then, we've been talking about following Jesus. This has been a discipleship series. And so I just wanted to make sure that you all know a couple things about what we're doing together. First is this, there was a reading plan that we gave out last week in all the bulletins. You may have one, but if you didn't get one, you can get them in the foyers or on our website. And this is not your average every, you know, year, read the Bible in a year type of plan. This is made easy for us to all do and stay on pace together because it's just one or two chapters a day. It's nice. We're reading through the New Testament together. And on Saturdays, you even get a day off. It's what we're calling grace days. And so Saturday is just this nice day where you can catch up or you can pray or you can just have some time off. And so If you want to join in the community and doing this with all of us, it is not too late for you to catch up. Uh, For instance, we're only like 10 chapters in or 11 chapters in this morning, so you could easily catch up. Now, this is a verse that we shared last week. And the reason that we're bringing it back up here again this week is because this scripture from 1 Corinthians 11 is kind of the key or the focal point of this whole series. This is the Bible's short little definition of what it means to be a disciple. And so we've turned this now, starting this week, into our memory verse uh, for the weeks coming forward. And this doesn't seem maybe like a whole lot of words to memorize. You can probably memorize it pretty quick. You you can memorize this in a morning. Uh, The nice thing about this is even the kids can memorize this scripture. But learning and applying this to our hearts will take a lifetime of growth. So Do you remember what the blank is in this verse? What's the first word? Imitate or follow. It depends on the version you're using, right? They mean the same thing. So imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now let's all say it together. Are you ready? Imitate me just as I imitate Christ. And so, of course, this doesn't mean to follow the parts of me that don't line up with Jesus, This means as you see Jesus in each other, to use that image of Christ in his community, in his Christian people, to help us learn what does it mean to look like Christ and to live a Christ life and a godly life. And so we're going to talk about this verse, mention it each week as our memory verse. Now a few things that you would need to know for today to make sense. When we started this series, we said that Jesus was the one who was resolved, You remember his disciples weren't really doing a great job in the ministry. Every time they were given a project, it seemed like they failed. But Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. And the reason that he set his face to Jerusalem was because he had to go there to die, And so Jesus had this obedience in mind, I am going to obey even to the end, even to if it costs me my life, I'm going to obey God's plan, and so he sets his face, and what he does on the way is he calls people to himself, and he sends them out to try again. He calls disciples to himself, and he sends them out to try again. Each time that they mess up the ministry, he calls them back, and he sends them out again over and over And so this is uh, what we define discipleship as based on Jesus' model. And last week we talked about disciples imitating Jesus. Almost the same way that an apprentice would follow a master craftsman and learn the skills of the trade from them, disciples imitate Jesus. But what's more, and this is our tongue twister, disciples imitate disciples imitating Jesus. And so when we're confused about what would Jesus look like or do in this situation, the church helps each other model Jesus. And so disciples imitate other disciples who are imitating Jesus. And all of this is what we mean when we say, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Now today, we're going to go a little further down this discipleship road. This is a book that was written by Eugene Peterson, about 20 years ago. The book is called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. You might be familiar with the name Eugene Peterson, probably because he is the person who wrote the version of the Bible known as the Message. And so Eugene Peterson was preaching at a church about 20 years ago and trying to find a way to help this community understand a certain section of the book of Psalms. These songs were the ones they would sing on their way up to Jerusalem for the great festivals and feasts. They're called the Psalms of Ascent. And two months from now, we're going to do a whole month-long series on these psalms that he teaches about in this book because they are a beautiful Old Testament illustration of discipleship in action and the journey of a pilgrim. And Eugene Peterson was trying to communicate to his congregation uh, what these psalms meant. And so he started writing them in modern lingo. And before you know it, he had the first 14 chapters of what became the Message Bible. And as he explained and described this deep, nurturing, fulfilling depth of the Psalms of Ascent to his congregation he took a phrase from Frederick Nietzsche, who was one of the most anti-Christian people in the 19th century, a philosopher who had claimed that God was dead and that Christianity would die out as well within a generation or two. And Frederick Nietzsche had said that what constitutes a really good thing in life is that when people learn to live, a long obedience in the same direction. And so Eugene Peterson said, I get a kick Out of taking this phrase from an opponent of Christianity who died 150 years ago saying that Christianity would be gone by the time his grandchildren were gone and wondering what it would be like if Friedrich Nietzsche walked into my office and saw that Christians in the 21st century were still following a long obedience in the same direction and proclaiming the name of Christ. Isn't that kind of neat? Because even though people think this isn't possible, this is what the church has always done. This is what the church has always been about. is no matter how hard the road or how stringent the opposition or how faithless the world or how faithless our own hearts, we continue to follow God in a long path of obedience in the same direction. These are a couple of excerpts from Eugene Peterson's book that will help define our direction for this morning. He wrote, It's not difficult to get a person interested in the gospel. I think this is still true today. Most people are at least interested in knowing, what does your church teach? What are you Christians about? Is it possible for me to find forgiveness? Could I have a better life? people are interested in the gospel... It's terrifically difficult, though, Peterson continues, to sustain the interest. And don't we all know what this feels like? Imagine with me for a second. In your own life, when you have had an interest that blossomed up quickly and then wilted just as fast, how many of you have a garage or a closet in your house where you put the things that you bought that you thought, I'm going to learn how to use this bike I'm gonna learn to use this weight bench. In fact, you might have an entire room built around one of those running machines with a TV in front of it and a little drink holder on the side because you were resolved one January, I'm gonna run on this machine and watch my sitcoms and get in shape. And every time you walk down that hallway and the door is open, you just pull it closed. Because you don't want anyone to see that that machine is collecting dust. All of us know what it's like to have difficulty sustaining an interest. So the question is, how can a disciple do this? He also wrote, one aspect harmful to Christians is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. And this is where I wanna jump away now from Eugene Peterson and start to consider some scripture together And I want you to uh, continue to fill in some notes here on the back of your bulletin in this space that's blank in the middle. And I'll show you how to do that. But think about this. The assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. Peterson says this is a lie. On your bulletin, you might want to draw something like this. Now this is my attempt using PowerPoint to draw a path A long obedience in the same direction. At the end of the path, I put a cross. And you might say, that looks an awful lot like a plus sign. Well, that's because it is a plus sign. This is the only object I could find in PowerPoint that closely resembled a cross. And you could draw whatever it is that helps you understand the pathway of your life or the pathway of discipleship. It doesn't have to have a cross at the end, but the point is this, we're fixing our eyes on Jesus. And as we go through some scriptures this morning, you don't have room to write them all out in full, but as you move down the path, write in the scripture references so that you can come back later and review these things that are promised to us in the word of God. Here's the first one from Luke 6, 40, and we referenced this last week, the key New Testament passage on discipleship. Jesus said, students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. Did Jesus imagine that this would happen overnight? Did Jesus think that this would happen for his disciples in the next day or the next week? Well, of course not. He's the one that we started with, who set his face to Jerusalem in the middle of all of their charades, and they're carrying on, and they're trying to burn down Samaritan villages because they are not yet like the teacher. And so he knows that this doesn't happen quickly. Look at another passage from John 13, where he says something similar. In the story of the foot washing in the upper room, Jesus also says, that they are to become like their teacher, like their master. And in that setting, he said this to the disciples, as they were very much further down the path towards the cross and a little bit further down the path of discipleship. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. You should do as I've done. You should learn to do what I'm doing Again, this is the phrase that we pulled out of Peterson that something worthwhile can't be acquired at once. The assumption that it can is false. And here's an image that might help us think through it a little bit. The challenge for disciples. What we as people of God want over a lifetime is not just salvation. We don't just want forgiveness of our sins. We want a rich and full life. The life of God, the kingdom of God expressed in our community. And so the challenge for us is the patient acquisition of virtue. The patient acquisition of a good moral life. One that's worth living. One that we're proud of. One that's fulfilling. And this is the challenge that takes a lifetime. Revelation fourteen twelve. Write this down on your path says this, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God. The New Testament is just littered with scriptures that talk about patience and long-suffering. And this is one to a people who are certainly suffering under the persecution of Rome, wondering how long will it take for Jesus to come back. And John writes to them, patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commandments. You see, they're not just waiting, hoping for deliverance. They're actively keeping his commandments. They're remaining faithful to Jesus as they patiently wait. How many of you have one of these in your home? How many of you don't have one of these in your home? Yeah, that's what I thought. What's a microwave for? Cooking food, say it with me, fast. Yeah, cooking food fast, and really maybe just even reheating food, right? This is the machine that we use when we don't have a lot of patience or a lot of time. This is so often what Christians think that they can do inside of their souls with the help of the Holy Spirit is I'm on fire for God, right? And so I've got this heat in my soul and he's gonna transform me into a fully formed, mature disciple of God because I feel big feelings now. Well, heat's just part of the process of cooking, isn't it? If you applied all of the heat that this microwave has to a bowl of macaroni and cheese over a period of two or three minutes, What are some of the results? Sometimes you get a a bowl that's nicely warmed because you've stirred it. Sometimes you get one that's hot on the edges and cold in the middle. Or cold on the edges and burning hot in the middle. Because this really isn't the way to cook good food, is it? This just zaps it. Now this, this is God's heavenly gift to churches and potlucks. Amen, church? Look at what is inside of this crock pot, a full chicken. Can you see that on the screen? I don't know if the picture is sharp enough for you to make it out. I didn't even know you could do this. You can take a whole chicken and stick it inside of a crock pot and cook the whole thing, right? And then down there beside it is a mini crock pot that my wife thinks is really cute, incidentally, and it's called the Little Dipper, So not only can you have chicken, but while your chicken is cooking, you can have some sauce to dip it in. Now that is a good model for Christian discipleship. Amen, church? Amen. Let's have a potluck sometime soon, incidentally. Okay, now, here's the problem. Some people would like to have that delicious chicken, but they try to do it this way. Yeah, yum, right? Doesn't that look good? I'm not even sure if that's safe to be honest, I don't know if it is or not, but look at how pale that little bird is as opposed to the one that was nicely roasting and becoming flavorful and falling apart over the long, slow application of heat in the crock pot. Here's a stew that comes out of a crock pot. You can actually see vegetables in it. Here's what we make in the microwave. I see something orange in it. That might have been a carrot. (laughs) And what's more, I think that this guy in the picture is doing his taxes. So that whole concept of microwave ramen is just associated with bad things. (laughs) Here's the point. Hebrews 6 says this, and write this down on your path. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We don't want your spiritual life to get cut short by you thinking that discipleship is just unact like coming to Jesus. It's a life. We do not want you to become lazy, but to—and here's our word from last week—imitate, to mimic, to mimetai in the Greek. Those who through faith and patience inherit what's been promised. Later, the Hebrews writer continues on this theme. Write this reference down on your path. He says, "How can you acquire it by remembering your leaders?" The people who came before, who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life. In other words, look at someone's life who you can see most of the path is written and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ, by the way, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And with that, the Hebrew author makes sure that we understand The way of faith that worked for the disciples in ancient times will work again for you now. The way of faith that worked for your grandparents may not look exactly the same as the way you do it now, but discipling after Jesus will still work for you now because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen, church? Jesus' path hasn't changed. Jesus' teachings haven't changed. Jesus' leadership hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen, church? Amen. And so imitate those who have finished the race. Here's a challenge for disciples making disciples. Not to acquire information about God but to acquire skills in faith. And maybe we should say it this way. So many times over the years we've told people there's a plan to salvation and it goes like this. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, live a faithful life. And that's not a bad thing. But sometimes giving people the info, giving them the answer, can short circuit their journey of faith so that instead of acquiring the skills they need to live for Jesus, we simply tell them do this and this and this and you will be okay. And that is not the way Jesus set it up. Jesus set it up so that we would learn in the slow, saturating, maturing heat of a crock pot where over time with him, being called and being sent and experiencing ministry with him, we would slowly learn what it means to believe, what it means to repent, what it means to confess. Church, as we offer the invitation to you this morning, this is our simple plea. Don't be confused by the way we do so many things in the modern age and think that Christianity is a decision you make in a moment or it's something you accomplish in a moment or that discipleship is something that happens overnight. But take courage and be filled in knowing that God has a plan that slowly over many, many years of faithfully following Jesus, you will add virtue after virtue to your life. You can start it in a moment by accepting Christ, but the fullness of it takes a lifetime. If there's any way that our church can help you today, our elders will be at the front to receive you and to pray with you, and they'll also be at the back to receive you and to pray with you. Come as we stand and sing if you have any needs.